You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is nutritionist and best-selling author Sean Stevenson, and I'm very grateful for you tuning in with me today. The latest research is affirming that mental health and brain health are truly synonymous. We must protect and support this powerful organ that's influencing every single cell in our bodies. All of the neurotransmitters, hormones, and various metabolic factors that are influencing how we feel, that are influencing our mental health, are literally made from the food that we eat. Our brain, our nervous system is made from the food that we eat. And you're probably very aware that the quality of foods, of nutrients that we are building our brains out of has gone down tremendously in recent years. And we're also, coincidentally, but maybe not so coincidentally, seeing epidemics, multiple epidemics of mental health conditions, in particular, anxiety. It has skyrocketed in the last couple of decades and also taken a mighty jump just in the last few years alone. But this has been going on and trending upwards for, again, several decades now. And it's time that we do something about this. But we've also, again, we've got to look at some of the foundational ingredients that are contributing to these epidemics and looking at, again, the raw materials that we're building our brains and our bodies out of because food truly, according to our incredible guest today, who is a board-certified psychiatrist working out of Harvard, and also she's developed the first nutritional psychiatry ward at a leading hospital. She is treating patients successfully for all manner of mental health conditions, utilizing food as a primary factor in treatment. Yes, there are a plethora of medications that are available today, but unfortunately, the data is affirming that the majority of people are not getting well and staying well. We've gotta take a different approach. We've gotta take an approach where we're addressing some of these key inputs. So if you've been struggling with your own mental health, if you know someone who has, this episode is incredibly important. This is important for all of us because all of us deal with stressors and struggles and all kinds of things, especially in our society today. It's not hard to find things to make you feel bad. It's not hard to find things that stress you out. It's not hard to find things that give us anxiety and depression and distract our brains and cause challenges, massive challenges with our ability to pay attention. We have a society that is now built, that is hardwired for all manner of craziness. And if you're like me growing up, mental health was definitely not something that was discussed. All right, people just had whatever stuff going on, their traumas, their uh, heartbreaks, their experiences, and you just tough it out. Matter of fact, you don't even talk about it, all right? That thing is locked away, key thrown away, and it's just something that unfortunately tends to fester up in our psyche. And also some of the leading data is affirming how these mental health challenges and excessive stress lead to physical disorders, physical conditions. And the vast majority of our physical ailments, whether it's heart disease, whether it's physical pain, the majority of these conditions have an emotional component to them. And so being able to have this introspection, being able to have these tools to provide ourselves, to provide our DNA, our genes with the inputs 
to have a healthier expression to support our mental health is absolutely key. And so I'm very, very excited about this episode. And before we get to our special guest, it's important to understand that our capacity, our mental health, our physical health, these are all driven by energy and having energy allotted, energy available to literally think the thoughts that we wanna think, to be able to have more self-control and self-management of our minds, of our thoughts, we can get depleted very quickly, you know, especially in today's society. Again, there's so much coming at us. And so having some supportive nutrition is obviously critical. And right now with innovation, there are some things that are kind of head and shoulders above other things when it comes to energy. And in particular, numerous studies, including a study published by the Federation of American Societies for Experimental Biology, AKA the FACIB Journal, have found that exogenous ketones can be up to 28% more efficient in generating energy than glucose alone. Plus studies have found up to a 15% increased mean power output after recovery when utilizing ketones. So helping our bodies to heal and to recover. There's something really special about these exogenous ketones, but we've taken a mighty jump from the conventional ketone esters when we now are able to utilize ketone IQ. Go to hvmn.com forward slash model and get your hands on ketone IQ. I've personally experienced ketone IQ improving my cognitive performance and specifically my endurance during my workouts. And for most people, this isn't going to be for everybody, but for most people, they notice this the very first time utilizing ketone IQ. I know that I did. And you know, of course, over the years, I've been in this field for about 21 years now, and I've utilized so many different things. It's very rare to find something where you see a noticeable improvement immediately. And that's what I experienced. Again, this is not necessarily going to happen for everyone, but for the majority of people utilizing ketone IQ, this takes their energy to another level. But here's the key, without any strange jitters or crashes or anything like that, it's just utilizing a primal energy system in our bodies for performance. So check them out. Go to hvmn.com forward slash model and you're going to get hooked up with 30% off your first subscription order automatically. All right. So again, that's hvmn.com and get your hands on Ketone IQ. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled, Sean is a Beautiful Person by Renner and Walker. His focus is on helping people to achieve health. He knows we are set up to fail. He says it's our responsibility to change our environment. He shows us how. Thank you, Sean. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for seeing me. Thank you so much for that acknowledgement. I appreciate that immensely from my heart to yours. Thank you. And listen, if you yet to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the Model Health Show. All right, leave a review, pop over to Apple Podcasts. It truly does mean a lot. And without further ado, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Dr. Uma Naidu is a Harvard-trained, board-certified psychiatrist. And what also makes her truly exceptional is that she's a nutrition specialist with her education from Cornell University, plus a professional chef with her education from Cambridge School of Culinary Arts. She's currently the Director of Nutritional and Lifestyle Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital, where she consults on nutritional interventions for psychiatry and medically ill patients. And now she's back for another powerful conversation, specifically addressing nutrition and anxiety. Let's dive into this conversation with Dr. Uma Naidu. 
All right. My friend, Dr. Uma Naidu, so good to see you. Great to see you, Sean. Thanks for having me. Of course. Listen, as a board-certified psychiatrist, I've got to ask you this. From your perspective, have the rates of anxiety been going up in recent years or even recent decades? Yeah. Because you get to see this firsthand. And I'm just, I want to ask you about this personally. Yeah, it has. So, Sean, even before the pandemic, anxiety was actually the most common mental health disorder in the United States. Many people don't realize that. It was always about three times more common than even something like depression. But during the pandemic, it, and hence the reason for my book, it really worsened. In the early pandemic times, in around spring of 2020, a medication called Zoloft, sertraline, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor went on shortage in the entire United States. Doctors and prescribers were getting emails and calls from pharmacies saying you need to find a solution for individuals who are taking this. And the reason behind it was there were new diagnoses of anxiety, maybe some mood disorders around that time. So these were not these were new prescriptions, and that's why we ran out. Um, we know that, of course, this had a toll, but The Lancet published a paper saying that something I feel like I've seen and experienced, that the increase is 25% as we've gone through the pandemic, which is a massive jump. And so I feel like there need to be more solutions than just that prescription pad because other information and research has shown us that even when you take a medication for anxiety, you may not ever feel the relief of it. In fact, larger percentage of people don't get a cure or don't even have remission from anxiety. So we need more solutions. Actually, you posted not too long ago a, a more recent paper, which some of this data has been known for quite some time. And actually, we just talked about Dr. Caroline Leaf yes. out before the show. And she shared with me, it's decades ago that this was pretty well established that the serotonin theory of depression is largely disproven in certain scientific circles. Mm -hmm. But now a more recent paper came out kind of addressing this yes. because SSRIs have been a billion dollar industry. Yes. But you just shared a lot of times people aren't actually finding relief, especially enduring relief. Correct, especially enduring relief. I like how you phrase that because you might get initial relief but it's not sustainable or you develop side effects. So there, there's a whole spectrum. I think it goes back to the fact that with, with diagnostic criteria, we have the DSM-5-TR. It's not like if you come in, Sean, and you have a cough. I can get a sputum test, I can order different, you know, I can order an X-ray and order several things and actually treat what I know might be infecting you. It's not that way in mental health. We can't just do a brain biopsy. We, we, we have these diagnostic criteria and people very often have a mixed set of symptoms. Um, then when we get to the medications, we have had a very heavy sort of reliance on the serotonin hypothesis. And a study published in the British Medical Journal, which I referenced in my book um, last year. And I, I'm careful about how I frame this because I'm not trying to say if you're taking a selective an SSRI, stop your medication, I'm not saying that at all. Talk to your doctor, examine the data for yourself, have a conversation with the provider. But essentially this, this uh, research group in the UK essentially said, you know, there's not much basis for this. And the way I see this is it has spun off into the pharmaceutical industry in a very big way. The reliance that we have on um, SSRIs. And I feel like we just need to have a longer, bigger conversation about this so people have more solutions. And that's where 
I do feel food is one of those lifestyle pillars that can make a difference that we often overlook. Yeah, it's so fascinating. And of course, talking with you and your traditional education and then your education so far beyond, you know, your university education and what you're doing, you're, I don't use this word lightly. And also I don't want to paint this as like you've been uh, doing this for super long, but you are a pioneer in this field. You know, nutritional psychiatry is really something that you push forward into our culture and have such a prestigious um, clinic to help people through the use of, of nutrition. And I wanna, I wanna point us back to this because it's so fascinating, you just said it, you know, you have a manual that we're educated on to treat patients with mental health yeah. and it's fitting into certain criteria and it's often based on behavior or yes. conversation, mm-hmm. but we're not actually testing, does this person have some kind of issue with serotonin? It's based off of a theory. Based off of a theory, and there isn't, you know, yes, we can do blood tests and we can check this and that, but it's it's not as clear as a liver biopsy. It's not as clear as other diagnoses and other specialties. So I feel we're already a little bit in the dark in psychiatry, and I think we need to acknowledge that. And feel and and offer guidance based on that, but that's where I feel, and this happened early on in my career. I'm not against medications. The medications I've said this to you before, Sean, have saved the lives of many of my patients. But it's not the solution for everyone. And when it when it is even a partway solution, food, nutrition, and lifestyle factors can always help because maybe you don't need as high a dose. Maybe over time, your provider can work with you to taper you safely off the medication. But, you know, I've been talking to, to a group that I work with in the United Kingdom, and they even talking about things like serotonin addiction because they find that the prescriptions to the GPs are so high because they don't have other solutions. Yeah. So it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. You know, it should seem obvious at this point that, you know, healthy lifestyle factors, things that we evolved doing that our genes expect from us, yeah. that our DNA requires in order for healthy cellular function and replication yes. these these basic things if they're not done we're just kind of you know window dressing and you pointed out in your book and this was such a strong statement that the american diet is actually fueling higher rates of anxiety it is. can you talk a little bit about why that is it is you know unfortunately um for for the most part in america we are led by things like the standard american diet which you know, sad called sad for a reason, um, the acronym, and it's also called the Western diet, and that diet is really very high in processed, ultra-processed junk foods and fast foods. We know that some fast food French fries have added sugar in them to make them hyper palatable. Um, so when people go to that drive-through, they upsize, and when they when they get that larger size of fries, they eat they eat it. And then the next time it's lunch, they feel for it again because it's starting to tap into our craving cycle. But these foods are engineered a certain way. Um, We also have a very heavy reliance on just sugar in many of our foods, including things like bread. And if you've not eaten a certain product for a while and you go back and taste it, maybe you're at a dinner or at an event, you will actually realize there's so much sugar in some basic foods that we eat, including savory foods. Um, so the added and refined sugars are a problem, the high fructose corn syrup, um, the, the sodas, the, the, the sports beverages that are loaded up with sugar and things like that. We also um, know that through the foods we eat and some, sometimes the fact that we eat those processed foods is a lot of um, 
processed vegetable and seed oils that can actually drive inflammation. So that's another thing that's in our food as well. Then there's artificial sweeteners. There's some newer sweeteners where there's some really exciting and newer data, but for the most part, the sweeteners that are on the foods that are labeled diet or low low sugar or um, no sugar um, have are, are problematic, especially in the diet sodas. Um, and then it's the sort of unhealthy fats. Things think you know there's shelf stable baked goods that you you can buy this week and you can you can serve it next week, and and they're shelf stable because they kind of pumped up with sort of preservatives and colorants and dyes and all that stuff, but also the wrong types of fats, right? The trans fats and the hydrogenated oils, which are really pro-inflammatory for our bodies. Because we tend to eat this kind of diet without a reliance on fiber and vegetables and a plant, I would say a plant-rich diet, and balancing that nutritional psychiatry plate with the right proteins, um, fats, and um, even complex carbs, we've, we've kind of gotten our, our meals into disarray. Mm. And and that is that is definitely driving anxiety, and it wasn't uh, during the pandemic. Let's break down a little bit why sugar is so troubling when it comes to anxiety. Where yeah. why is sugar something that can exacerbate symptoms of anxiety? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a trick, and and this is what I mean. There are times that people will say, but you know, when I'm I'm really anxious, I I just I want that candy bar. I I need that. Um, that soda or that you know very fancy coffee with tons of ingredients. I just need that because it's going to make me feel better. It's going to calm me down. And the funny thing is that in the short term, you actually may feel a little bit better. Um, that kind of is tricking our brain because that initial rush of sugar may f- make you feel better. It's the long-term effect that is actually problematic. Um, and and in fact has been shown to damage neurons over time. So if our subs- if we're subsisting on that sugar-laden diet, we are damaging our brain over time. The other thing that sugar does is that it drives inflammation in the gut and in the brain. So we are feeding those not, not so great, not so cool microbes down in our gut microbiome. And when they thrive, they upset the environment of the gut. They lead to dysbiosis and inflammation in the gut. Over time, their toxic breakdown products damage the cell lining of the gut. Um, and you get leakage into the circulatory system. You eventually you know, develop inflammation in the gut, leaky gut or intestinal permeability over time. So sugar is problematic on multiple levels, and it is hard to extract from our diet. So I, I, I just try to guide people toward extra not, extra not natural chocolate, towards pieces of fruit, towards berries, rather than a reliance on just, you know, candy, which is what we used to, candy and um, candy and cakes and that kind of stuff. Mental health is really brain health. You know, it it's is. a big, big part of this. It and is. you just shared if we could just get this as a society, like mm-hmm. sugar is not without a cost. You know, yes. this is something that was not a part of our diet as a species, no. literally until no. it was about 150 yeah. years ago, mm-hmm. it, it became more prevalent, but it's really 50, 60, 70 years ago mm-hmm. where there's this huge upswing in mm-hmm. its consumption and availability. Yep. And we went from, you know, around the 1900s, maybe under 10 pounds of mm-hmm. added sugar mm-hmm, mm-hmm. per person yes. in the United States or in the Western world yes. uh, per year. And that number is 
skyrocketed. It's at least 70 pounds per person. Some reports estimate closer to 100 pounds mm -hmm. of added sugars per person. And you just shared, again, if we could get this, this can potentially, this sugar consumption is damaging our neurons. Mm -hmm. And this is where all the magic is happening with our mood and with our cognitive function. Right. It, it, you're right, and, and thank you for pointing out those statistics because we we now eat so much sugar, and and as the food industry developed um, these neat tricks like like you know creating um, refined sugars, but then adding it to foods and realizing hey food can be tastier, you know, and people are going to want to eat those foods, so um, it, it, it caught it kind of caught on, and then it was developing high fructose corn syrup, and let's see what we can put where where can we put that and ended up in almost all foods. So even savory foods um, have a ton of sugar that you don't even realize is there. So now you'll see healthier brands coming up with ketchup with, you know, they'll have a label, low sugar or no sugar or no added sugar. And that's the reason, because a lot of those foods have a ton of sugar that you don't even, you don't even realize is there. I was just about to say ketchup. <laughs> this past weekend, my son had a basketball tournament mm -hmm. and we got room service and they yep. sent these little things of Heinz ketchup. Yep. And it was high fructose corn syrup was one of the ingredients. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, this is, you know, bananas has been there for years. Yeah. And it's so unsuspecting. So many of these products that we come in contact yeah. with have this high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. And also, you know, if you think about the brain itself, it runs primarily on glucose. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your work has been, you know, um, a, a lot of what you've done and also your education uh, with Harvard and some researchers there found that it was something like 50% of the sugar that we consume in a given meal can get shuttled to the brain because mm -hmm. the brain evolved to really snatch up a lot mm -hmm. of the sugar that mm -hmm. we consume, but yeah. it used to be a small percentage it used to be much smaller. of our, of our yeah. diet. Yeah. But now this kind of abhorrent amount of sugar that we have access to, it's just driving up to the brain in droves. And this is one of the things we're seeing potentially with Alzheimer's yes. as well mm -hmm. in this category of, you know, it's, it's being labeled by some scientists as type three diabetes. Yes, yeah, some, some people are calling it that. And, um, you know, not everyone agrees with that term, but here's the thing, it's it's pointing to a mechanism. It's it's pointing to, the, to a way in which society has actually evolved and changed that is driving disease in a certain way. I also see this, Sean, a lot with, get a lot of questions about children's mental health. And why are we seeing so much more of these specific conditions? And I can't not include the fact that this conversation has to involve the food we're feeding children and that we're all consuming. But are we seeing that uptick because there's such a reliance on those foods? Yeah. And there are things, simple things like condiments. You're not thinking to yourself when you're eating something else that I should worry about the condiment, but those are often even salad dressings loaded with um, not only high fructose corn syrup, but you know, just other, other ingredients that are um, not good for us. For example, there's a study in an animal study, and you know, I'll just preface this by saying we have to start the study somewhere and then we have to, to move them to humans. But I thought what was significant about this one is it looked at the microbiome and a, a, a substance called carboxymethylcellulose, which is actually a thickener in food. And so the CMC was damaging the microbiome of these mice, and they had less of an ability to form the short-chain fatty acids that we need. This was a 2022 study. So what it 
inform me of. It's not diagnostic. It's not, you know, we need more information. But it at least alerts us to the fact that it is a problem. And where do we find those ingredients in, you know, kind of processed, ultra-processed foods, thickening something or, or whatever it is. So it's the sugar, it's the other processed ingredients. And until we find our way forward, we're not, no one has to be a perfect eater, but at least stepping back from some of that, yeah. um, finding those, you know, healthier ketchups or w- whatever it might be for what we eat and enjoy. Yeah. I, I, today's conversation is a nudge towards paying attention to the smaller things too. This is because, true. Because, you know, we don't think about stuff like that, about our condiments, for example. We don't. You know, and when I was a kid, and I'm not exaggerating, well, maybe I am a little bit, but I think my blood was like 5% ketchup. You know what I mean? Like fish sticks, ketchup, mm-hmm. nuggets, ketchup, ketchup. eggs, yeah. ketchup, ketchup yeah. everything except bologna sandwiches okay. I, because I have some self-respect. I didn't put ketchup on that. I put mustard. And shout out to people who put ketchup on bologna. No disrespect. But, you know, everything. And I would even joke about it. You know, I yeah. tell people like I'm, I'm black and white and red because I eat so, <laughs> much, eat so ketchup, much ketchup or I'm black and white and orange because I eat. <laughs> you know, a lot of cheese or whatever it was. Um, But I knew the foods that I liked, which, you know, these condiments, salad dressing, things like that. But the good news is there are a lot of companies who are doing things with more uh, efficacy and intelligence Mm. and care who are not putting these crazy amounts of added sugars and things like that, or even higher quality sweeteners or making them lower glycemic and things like that. So if we could even just make little shifts like that and pay attention to the... Uh, accessory items that can be helpful. I, I like what you're saying because a lot of people will pick on the fact that, oh, well, you know, why are you talking about foods? Not just on me, but just the, the concept of foods in moderation, balancing where you get those calories from or cutting back. I think it's very hard in this environment to say to people, just give up all processed foods, never look at one, you know, because it's hard. It, yeah. We have grown a reliance on these foods. But the ones that you choose matters. Where you put your dollars matters. The choices do matter. They matter to your physical health, but also your mental health. And here is is where I think making those healthier choices of whether you're even seeing um, meat products that have, now I've seen them saying no added nitrates in them. Um, you know, studies have shown that nitrates can worsen depression. I don't think the food industry is doing it for that reason. I think they're doing it to show that they're trying to be healthier. But even when we make those choices, it could be that slight tweak that is helping us because we know that we're consuming more sugar. We know that our dinner plate has increased in size from about eight to nine inches about 60 years ago to 10 to 11 inches now. So even the size of our portions has increased. And if if you think if the size of portion of increase and we're eating more sugar as well, that's a lot more of the, the less healthy ingredients. Yeah. Um, I love this. I'm, I'm glad that you pointed out specifically, you know, with our kids and mm-hmm. ultra processed food consumption. Yeah. I cannot state this enough. Uh, JAMA, Journal of the American Medical mm-hmm. Association, did a 20 year study mm-hmm. looking at ultra processed food consumption by U.S. kids. Mm-hmm. In 1999, the average child's diet in the United States was 61% ultra processed. Mm fake food mm. and by 2018 that number had risen to 67.5 percent almost 70 percent of our children's diet is mm-hmm. ultra processed food yeah. and as you know that's the average so there's going to be children at the lower end and higher end of the and spectrum the high end. Yeah. i was definitely higher end wow. of the spectrum wow. Wow. Um, with my ultra processed food consumption yeah. and my health demonstrated that yeah. you know all right. these chronic conditions mm-hmm. chronic asthma mm-hmm. allergies 
chronic pain. I had advanced arthritic condition with my spine at 20 years old, which is, wow. that's years in the making to wow. have that wow. level of degeneration mm. that I had. And it's just, I was making my tissues, my right. neurons, right. Right. the fuel that my body was running on out of very, very low mm -hmm. quality, new, newly mm -hmm. invented mm -hmm. artificial ingredients. Right. And what we're advocating for is we're not going to ignore the fact that there are the, all these delicious things that exist right. today. But what we want to do is shift our ratio some, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, instead of 70% of our diet being that for our children, mm -hmm. let's shift that ratio, maybe 50%, or right. maybe we can shift it, just flip those numbers and do right. 30% ultra processed foods exactly. and 70% real minimally processed foods. Exactly. I really appreciate that because I feel it's about where people get lost is they get into this um, th this way split mentality. It's either this or that. I think we need to find that gray zone that works for more people. Um, in other words, how can you in your diet make make that adjustment toward a healthier plate? In the moment, in the day, in the week, um, for your family, maybe slightly better choices. Though We start with awareness, right? The, there's a repository, as you know, Sean, for other names, and I, I want people to know this because I want them to read food labels, for other names for sugar and food labels. The number the last time I checked was 262. So if a parent, a mom, a dad, whoever it is doing the food shopping, including, say, a teenager, if you're looking at that label, make sure that you know what's in it because it could have tons of different types of sugar and you don't even realize it. it could be a savory food so having those little things that we educate ourselves with is key because the food industry is not going to change we have to change where we spend our money and what choices we make of those foods and they're slightly healthier versions of everything now yeah and you've got to educate yourself because food yeah. companies will health wash and they might throw gluten-free yeah. on the label, but That's then there's right. like 10 other sugars in there, right. you know, just, you know, what we need to do, of course, education is a huge part of this. Books like yours, Calm Your Mind with Food is the new Thank book. You. By the way, everybody should pick up a copy like yesterday. But, you know, for us to be empowered and to understand, even last night, for example, yeah. you know, my, my wife made a real food dinner. Mm -hmm. Every mm -hmm. one of those, there was three different items. You could tell where they came from, Great. all right? Yeah, I love that. Uh, a lot of those foods don't even necessarily need a label. Right. But then, because it's Christmas time, <laughs> she made some Christmas cookies. Right, right. And right. what she did was just use higher quality mm -hmm. ingredients that she could. Yep. And this morning I went over, because I didn't want to ask questions, mm -hmm. all right? And it was just a, it was a special moment. You know, she came over with the cookies. She was so happy. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, there were sprinkles on there yeah. and they had their different colors. So mm -hmm. of course my mind is like, I wonder what these dyes are, <laughs> right? And I went in there this morning and I saw the sprinkles sitting there on the counter right. and there was like green sprinkles. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, as you know, some of these food dyes are uh, indicated for increasing symptoms rega regarding ADHD yes. and it's particular for children. And, but the, the green food dye, and this was, you know, we just got them from Whole Foods. Yep. It was colored with spirulina to make mm -hmm, it green. Mm -hmm. And then there was another color. Was, um, there was like a blend of color. One was like beet. Beet. And beet then can like be red, right. com combined with spirulina or whatever to make right. this other color. It's just like wow. they're they're paying attention to those things. It's still, we got to be clear, still the sugar, mm -hmm. sweetener, that right. kind of thing. But it's, a but it's just like little steps yeah. to like pull away a couple of toxins. And also, again, the meal itself, real food. And then we had a little bit of like ultra, they're still cookies, yeah. ultra processed right. food. Yeah. You know. But it's, it's your little snack. It's it's the holidays. Having that balance is critical for us. Like I don't ever want a person to feel 
You cannot, if you love birthday cake on your birthday, you should not feel that you can't have a piece. But I do feel that what I'm going to encourage you to do is have that piece, but not have that be your every night dessert, you know. And I feel like that's a little bit missed in the conversation in nutrition, Sean, because people are advocating to for a very split society around only eat these foods, never eat that, exclude certain food groups. And I feel like if you are metabolically flexible and more metabolically fit, um, you you can eat a little bit more grains. You can you can switch out your plate because you're exercising. You you've reached a point of healthfulness. But if you're at a point where many of my patients are at, um, and I have been at certain stages in my life as well, like on a pathway to improving, your body may not be able to tolerate those ingredients in the same way, yeah. and you may have to be more careful about you know, where you get your carbohydrates from and you want more of the complex carbohydrates from vegetables and things like that than then, then eating the other things that many Americans enjoy, like, you know, sandwiches and, and pasta. Again, it's not demonizing the food. It's where are you at that you can make an adjustment. So I really I, I really like what you said because even, even when people understand things like you can use the color of beets to, beets, by the way, have, positive substances for your heart but you can use the color to to make certain things at, at Christmas time you know you you can actually almost employ that powdered beet which may not have you have to read the ingredients but may not have additional sugar beets are sweet but use that for things that you're creating you know I, I really like that yeah part of our metabolic flexibility has to do with our own unique microbiome yes and you talk about that in the book as well can you share why our gut bacteria are a major key for controlling anxiety it turns out that um there are there have been studies and several different uh of the species lactobacillus have been associated with different ways that they can actually help anxiety um, some manipulate the GABA receptors, and we know that GABA is related to anxiety. Some work through serotonin and dopamine. So there are about six to eight lact- of the group lactobacillus that have these effects. And I run through some of those in the book. So, so it may not be that you, uh, you know where it's coming from, but you have an awareness that these little guys, these microbes, are pretty powerful in impacting us, both in a good way and a not so good way, right? But if you are harnessing through the through eating, you know, many prebiotic foods, just paying attention to fiber, paying attention to the kaleidoscope of colors in the plant foods that we're eating, because it's so much more than just the colors of the rainbows. A million more colors, and it's a million more nutrients that we we can get when you when you're doing that. You're actually you're uplifting and enhancing them. And when they are thriving, they can function because they don't just hang out. They deal with sleep and circadian rhythm, which is our internal body clock. They deal with immunity. 70% of our immune system is in the gut. They deal with um, vitamin production, hormone production. They impact sleep. Um, They also deal with mental health and fight infections and do more. So these guys are busy. And if we take care of them, they are going to tap into forming the right types of breakdown products of our food that our bodies need to thrive, but also that our brains need. There's a lot going on in our gut. <laughs> that is, that's <laughs> crazy. Little... You know, this reminded me when you mentioned the circadian aspect. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, cr- it's crazy to say this now, but my 
first book, the first iteration of my first book. It's almost 10 years, been about nine years. About sleep, right? Sleep smarter, yes, yeah. Yes, And in the book, I shared some research from Caltech and they uncovered that our gut bacteria are communicating with enterochromaffin cells in the gut that are producing sleep-related hormones and neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, we're talking about serotonin, for example. It's yeah, it's related to our mood, but it's also a precursor to making melatonin. Yes. And our bacteria are just in close communication with these cells. It's just like this incredible interplay. But what if our bacteria are mm -hmm. not balanced? We don't have good yeah. diversity. Right. Then we can start to see all manner of dysfunction start to happen. And one of the things that, love that book, by the way, um, a lot of that can actually show up as sleep in mental health because when your sleep is off, um, people can be more anxious. They're, um, you know, they're, appetite can change, and I've seen this happen in my clinical practice. And one of the things that happened in the pandemic is, you know, people were calling insomnia, coronasomnia, because it was just getting to be so bad for many people, in part driven by the level of angst I think everyone was living with and just disruption. So we're beyond that now. So it's, it's a time, kind of time to regroup and see what can we do to move ourselves forward, right? I, I think that Many of us, we often view anxiety as a negative, but we can also use it to our, we can we can use it to empower ourselves. If we yeah. learn, similarly like we're learning a food label, if we learn how to manage it a little bit better and find these alternate solutions that are just beyond the pull, you know, beyond that actual pull. I'm at a place now where I'm just, I'm, I marvel at, how intelligent our bodies are yeah you know it's just we we we're we're so far from truly understanding we we know some things now mm -hmm. but our bodies are giving us feedback all the time mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. in regards like you just mentioned anxiety can be a directive it can be yeah. something that we can pay attention to and to make adjustments mm -hmm. you know with our behavior with our environment whatever the case might be but unfortunately, we see it as just this is this bad thing, right. and I can't do anything about it. It's just happening to me. But you are putting the power in our hands mm -hmm. with this, and really directing us to like what is one of the biggest contributing factors in our culture with mm -hmm. our increasing rates of anxiety, yes. and also happening in younger and younger populations. Yes, our diet has to be addressed. And you know, with that being said, let's talk about some of these anxiety busting nutrients and foods right. that we can look at adding in. Um, I want to just mention that there's so many, one of the things I, I do in the book, Sean, and I want to go to these ingredients, is realizing that there are many things we're overlooking. Like, I'm going to go to this list in a second, but iron. Uh, there are many women of childbearing age and many children and adolescents, I personally feel it comes back to the food system, who are deficient in iron. And um, it's not something that we necessarily realize, um, but it is correlated with a high level of anxiety in younger folks. So I think it's just something to realize if we're not eating nutritious food, we're not getting that supply of iron that our bodies need. It might need to be supplement, we need to speak to your doctor, we need to get a level, but women as well. But I, I list a lot of foods that I go through in the book, but for the purpose of kind of having people just have almost a little cheat sheet in their head, I break it down into a mnemonic comms. And again, these are only a few of the foods, but C is for choline, which you know is an important nutrient. 
Um, people often overlook it. It can be found in from legumes to eggs. So there's lots of choices there of actual whole foods where you can get choline. Um, then it's vitamin C. Um, extremely important for several biochemical reactions, but also interacts with the next C, which is extra dark natural chocolate. One of my favorites because it actually contains magnesium. It has the process by which it's made, uh, main, makes, uh, makes it has uh, a prebiotic fiber in it. Also iron. And it has iron. Mm -hmm. It is actually the largest source of plant-based iron. So, but the trick is that you need vitamin C for the absorption. And so I love to pair an extra piece, extra dark chocolate with a piece of clementine or a piece of orange, just because it helps. There's the vitamin C to help it. Chocolate's but, a special food. Let's pause on this one. <laughs> Even, you know, traditions that used it thousands of years ago, yeah. whether it's the Aztecs, they would combine yes. it with things that are high in vitamin C, like peppers, yes. for example. You know, So interesting, right? It's right. It's so fascinating. And, and how, how people have how this has, has come to be. And I, I happen to love that combination because people want a little bit of um, something sweet. And, and if you can just kind of get used to extra dark chocolate, it is delicious. The um, other C is for chickpeas because of the tryptophan in chickpeas. So it's a good food to um, help with these different symptoms. It's just a good, good thing to add the fiber and all of that. The A is for ashwagandha, one of the supplements that actually has uh, because it's very bitter tasting. Trust me, I've tasted this as a kid. Um, it, it's not worth tasting it. It's actually easy to get as a supplement, but it has a good amount of evidence for anxiety, and it comes from sort of Ayurvedic times, and people have used it. Antioxidants, because we know that there's so many in that we get through the foods we eat from spices and herbs to those colorful kaleidoscope of vegetables, um, those plant polyphenols that are bringing back, you know, vitamins and micronutrients. Um, and uh, then the L is for, believe it or not, liquids. And this is because when we are dehydrated and we're short, we haven't drank enough water that day, you can actually develop, you can develop a panic attack, but you can also have more anxiety. Um, dehydration is also associated with depression and a low mood. So just making sure that, you know, you're sipping throughout the day, maybe you're carrying a sustainable water bottle, but you're just hydrating. Another way to do that is with a calming tea. So I talk about passionflower tea and lavender, lavender tea in the book, just different alternatives for people to lean into to help, um, help with calming. Also green tea, one of my favorites. So, and then M is more omega-3s. You know, we know that omega-3s help people, wild-caught salmon or short-chain omegas in things like wal walnuts or flax seeds or chia seeds. Absorption is different, but you know, just remember we, we need those, those um, we need more omegas. And then the S is for spices and herbs, something we often overlook that can have powerful properties that can help calm the mind. So it's just a little cheat sheet to keep in mind when you, when you at the supermarket or farmer's market, wherever you shop, and then I go, you know, deeper and wider into more foods in the book. I love this. So many things jumped out there. The one that jumped out the most, though, for me was the liquids. Yes. You know, but then it becomes so logical. Like, what are the basic human needs if you're yeah. not giving your body this input? Yes. And, you know, your your cells are dehydrated. Yeah. And there's like a gauge in our brain as well, the hypothalamus. Yes. Right, this master gland integrating mm -hmm. our endocrine system, our nervous system. Yes. And it's monitoring your hydration levels. And, it, and, and that's an excellent point, Sean, because one of my tricks when people are feeling feeling super hungry, when I'm working clinically with individuals, they're like, well, 
you know, if I, if, and, and this all often comes around when I'm trying to kind of work with people around how do you shop the supermarket? So we develop this anti, anti-anxiety shopping list. But often, you know, if you go into the supermarket hungry and anxious, you're going to make the wrong choices. I, I'm just, I, I don't think I need a research study to show that, but yeah. I think we can we each experience that. Yeah. So I'll say to my patients, you know, if you're leaving work and or you you're getting to the supermarket and you're feeling hungry, drink a, a cool just to, just drink a bottle of water, have a glass of water, a bottle of water, because ex- of exactly the fact that those signals are often crossed in the brain. And so when we are hungry, we might actually be thirsty, and when you satiate that thirst, you think like. I can I can have dinner in an hour and I'll be okay. I think it's it's a neat trick to know, um, and very important. And it's something that we overlook because most people, you know, I practice an integrated and holistic um, care uh, model of care in nutritional psychiatry. So it's, nutrition is the absolute pillar. It starts it starts there. But your sleep is important, your hydration is important, your outdoor time, because of vitamin D is important. So all of this matters. And I just think it's um, we have we have to pay attention to these small things and and build up on them absolutely absolutely got a quick break coming up we'll be right back neuroplasticity the ability of the human brain to grow and adapt and evolve and really to unlock our superhuman capacity is driven by our experiences our practices our activities but also our nutrition fascinating new research published in the journal neuron found that magnesium This key electrolyte is able to restore critical brain plasticity and improve overall cognitive function. Again, neuroplasticity is the ability of our brain to change and adapt. Now, this is one key electrolyte, but it works in tandem with other electrolytes like sodium. Sodium is critical for maintaining proper hydration of the human brain. If you didn't know this, the human brain is primarily made of water. We're talking somewhere in the ballpark of 75, upwards of 80% water. It's so important because just a small decrease in our body's optimal hydration level, what's noted in the data, just a 2% decrease in our baseline hydration level can lead to dramatic cognitive decline. Helping to sustain and maintain proper hydration levels in the brain, sodium is critical in that. And also researchers at McGill University found that Sodium functions as a, quote, off-on switch for specific neurotransmitters that support our cognitive function and protect our brains from numerous degenerative diseases. Right now, the number one electrolyte company in the world is delivering a gift for new and returning customers. With each purchase of Element, that's L-M-N-T, the number one electrolyte in the market, no binders, no fillers, no artificial ingredients, no crazy sugar and sweeteners. My friend's son was just over at our house and my son, my oldest son, Jordan, was training them, taking his teammates through some workouts. And we opened the freezer and there's a bottle of Gatorade. There's a bottle of Gatorade in our freezer. And my wife's like, whose is this? Cause we know we don't roll like that. We don't mess with the Gators, all right? We don't mess with the Gatorades. And we knew who it was, it was one of his friends. And he came in, he's like, well, at least this is the no sugar kind. And then I go through some of the ingredients with him and I find those curveballs of like, here's where they're sneaking in these artificial ingredients and things that the human body has no association with. But you know, it's, he's taking a step in the right direction by, by being in our environment. So you know what I did? 
I put the element in his hand. All right, make sure that he's got the good stuff, the very best stuff. And also this is backed by peer reviewed data in a huge body of evidence. And we're talking about the folks at Element, that's L-M-N-T. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model and you're going to get a special gift pack with every purchase, whether you're a new or previous customer or element. So again, this is a brand new opportunity, free gift pack with every purchase over at Element. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model. And now back to the show. One of the other interesting things that you talk about in the book is leptin. Mm -hmm. Right. And noting that leptin is a key link between our central nervous system and our metabolic processes. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Leptin is that hormone that helps us understand that we're satiated and we've, we've eaten enough. And when we are, when our diet is offset by, say, the standard American diet and eating those types of foods, what might happen is we may develop leptin resistance over time. And disrupting leptin means that it can't do its job. So it actually can't tell you or tell us that we're full. Um, so you might, you know, think, well, oh, hungry, I'll have some dinner. And then you think, oh, you know, I'm, that's not enough pasta. It's not enough whatever you usually, you know, whatever your traditional dinner is and you need more food. That's something to start paying attention to because if it becomes, there might be just a day that you exercised more and you're just more hungry. There might also be something that you're noticing as a pattern in your life and it's time to pay attention to that. The interesting thing that I discovered in my research for this book is that the, the hot, hot spots for anxiety in the brain are the amygdala and the hippocampus. But it turns out that metabolism is linked because it also originates and is driven by certain parts of the brain. So when we start to realize that if our metabolism is thrown off, one of the ways being developing leptin resistance or just eating poorly, so maybe setting up, setting ourselves up for inflammation and the disruption of that hormone system, um, the, the more that that metabolism is is out of whack, the more our anxiety can increase. I don't, I don't know that we have a, a study to prove this, but one of the things that happened in the pandemic is processed food sales increased remarkably in early 2020 when the pandemic started and increased. In fact, some food companies started to produce more things because of the need um, and other reasons, um, things like you know canned soups and other processed foods, because there was an increased demand, and that kind of continued through. Now, I think that we, like I said, we we are beyond that now, and we need to kind of figure out what is our way back to to a healthier point, um, to a less anxious point, because all of that's been driven by many different things. But one of the things has been the food that we were consuming, including what our kids were consuming. Yeah. You know, some of the decisions that we make under a stress state tend to get stuck. Yes. And, you know, that's what we're dealing with right now. And a lot of abnormal behavior, responses, fear, stress, yes. anxiety, all these things, there are these long tail effects, especially yes. when it's like an emotionally driven thing. Yes. Um, you know, into our psyche. And that that part is you know, one of the things that wasn't being addressed, it was kind of like all or nothing, one yeah. button is pushed down 
and we didn't approach this with some sustainability, thinking yeah. long-term about human health. And, you know, of course there's conversations for all aspects of this, like we just need to mitigate, yeah. you know, what, what is happening from a virus right now and not really think about all the other kind of unwanted side effects or long lasting effects that we're not really looking at during times of stress. Mm. And so with that being said, having resources like this to recalibrate yes. is it obviously important. And right now, society at large is just not pointing at that. You know, mm. we're looking at the next stressful event. We're just yes. kind of looped in because as you know, once our nervous system kind of gets trained a certain way, we, we're looking to feed it a certain way. And mm. this is metaphorically and literally. <laughs> and literally. You know, True. and so with this being said, helping us, for example, like you mentioned the amygdala being a big source of this. And this is in in some ways, you know, more of a primitive part of our brain. It's more mm. reactive, more mm -hmm. emotional. Yes. But what we don't often understand is that, you know, we have this highly evolved prefrontal cortex. Yeah. But it can we can get have an amygdala hijack take mm -hmm. place mm -hmm. pretty easily. That yes. part of our brain can just kind of take over yes and so some of those triggers are nutrient deficiencies mm -hmm. uh hunger yes right we could start mm -hmm. acting very different when we aggressive when we're assertive yeah. we got yeah. hangry in our lexicon now yes <laughs> but this is serious like if we're looking at leptin and the yeah. function of leptin like actually feeling satiated mm -hmm. so that we're not contributing to or exacerbating anxiety this is exactly it um ex exacerbating anxiety setting ourselves up for you know insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes it's it's all it's kind of all circular it's all interrelated but the other thing that i like that you said Sean is that stress precipitates we know that stress precipitates habit circuits in the brain so when you are um you've had this prolonged period of stress and you continue to be stressed that's why I feel like it's also more of this holistic approach because how, how can we manage our stress better? What can we do to step back from it? What can we do to cut through that stress cycle that we're in? Because what's that do, what that is doing is you go buy the fast food or you, you go buy something that's less healthy, but then your body wants more. And the more stressed you are, it, it just it sets up this vicious cycle. So we do have to find a way to... Um, un unpack that, understand it, but then intervene for ourselves, you know, mm. and and help get help from one another to say, hey, you know, probably shouldn't be eating that every night or whatever it is. Can we talk about some things to look at nutritionally to support leptin? Yes. Um, so some of the things to do are to it's it's not necessarily a it's it's not necessarily a huge surprise, but you want to move that diet towards the healthier norm of your whole foods. So if we were to talk about a nutritional psychiatry anti-anxiety plate, I want you to think about it as A, whole foods, B, largely those colorful vegetables and maybe some berries or you know some sort of side of fruit that you can enjoy, but a very large portion of your plate should be that way. Then I want you to think about you know a palm-sized portion of a clean protein. For you that may be you know um, pasture-raised chicken. For someone else it might be um, you know baked tofu. Whatever it is, a good source of protein could be legumes, beans, lentils, all of that. 
Then I want you to think of your little serving of a healthy fat. It can be from avocado, it can be from olive oil, nuts and seeds. And then I want you to think about a small portion of a healthy grain. One of my go-tos is now quinoa because it can be flavored up in a lot of different ways. I don't want you to have a ton of it. I want it to be on your plate because your gut microbes need it. And our... Um, you know, society tends to go towards other grains which have a different uh, glycemic load, different glycemic index, and they can impact our health differently. But I want it to be a portion of your plate. By simply doing these tweaks, you are tapping into a few things. You are fending off inflammation in your gut. You are almost eating an anti-inflammatory diet by having these whole foods. You are helping fend off that, you know, say you're on the way to developing some leptin resistance, you are fending that off because you are recalibrating your microbiome. You are recalibrating that in a way that's going to ultimately help your anxiety. And you, I think paying attention to it becomes important. And then based on that plate, you can switch it up in many different ways, but I kind of want people to think about the ratios of that. Whereas, you know, things like the food pyramid and other iterations of a healthy eating plate don't quite capture that. Um, and I feel like we need to reinvent that for ourselves, especially when dealing with conditions and mental health. Mm, yes. Um, obviously, again, this is a huge pillar because our tissues are made from food. Yeah. The, the chemistry, you know, our neurotransmitters, our hormones, all these yep. things are made from food. So this is a top tier importance, but you've also shared throughout this conversation that it's more than the food as well. Yeah. It's you know it's your environment. It's you know your exposure to sunlight and yeah. and stress management, all these things. And you shared very openly in the book that you were struggling with your own metabolic health mm -hmm. and your own mental health. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people, especially in our society today, with your level of expertise and worrying about the judgment. Yes. And mm -hmm. what impacted you know you going through chemotherapy mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. this impacting your metabolism. Mm -hmm and you wanting to you know manage your own metabolic health mm -hmm. and as i mentioned your mental health and just feeling incongruent and yes. struggling with that yes. and you shared that very openly in the book but yeah. people don't know yes. your story they don't know what you yes. went through yes so can you talk a little bit about that i'm happy to thanks for asking you know i um i'm still honestly in my life in my career in my own physical and mental health i'm coming back from that and it takes much longer than um you know, a number in a medical chart or a, uh, an assessment by a doctor. And so for me, I really wanted to share with people that I come to it with a certain level of experience and honesty. When I say experience, I don't mean that I know it all. It's more that I've lived that. And in some time, at, some, at certain points, I continue to because I'm not at that point where that I want to be, but I also believe it's a journey. And that is why I have not only hope, but I want to impart that to people and I want to share that we don't have to be perfect eaters, but we have to move towards that healthier direction. You know, we can't avoid a processed food. So for me, it, it was really about understanding the level of stress that I was carrying and not realizing. And one of the moments that, that really changed for me was um, early on in, in putting parts of the book together, um, I had a medical checkup, one of my follow-ups with my oncology team. And, you know, they kind of checked me out and did the exam and all of that. And the end of it, I was kind of caught by surprise because they said, well, you know, we love you. We want we want to see you, but we've, we're going to graduate you. And I was like, what are you, what are you talking about, graduate me? But you, there's actually a process where you move from, 
you know, follow up to the survivorship clinic, right, which is a big word in, in cancer care. And so I left, you know, I left feeling like a huge weight had been lifted that I didn't even know was there. Um, and so just what it means is that in the future, the next follow-up was actually with a different team and they were focused on the lifestyle factors and helping you survive and thrive versus the acuteness of, you know, where your blood tests at, where your where's your exam at, all of that acute stuff. And it taught me an amazing thing about anxiety because I didn't realize the the tension I was living with because I had, you know, I was functioning through it, I was writing books, I was doing all the stuff. And um, in some ways maybe some of it was was actions that were more robotic that were divorced from my emotion yeah. and i had to catch myself i really had to realize that integration so i've learned the hard way but it was a good lesson and it was a happy lesson um you know and i uh, and i hope that people will be with me on this journey helping their own anxiety because it is a journey it it, it doesn't it doesn't happen overnight but there's hope you know i think i think we can help one another and move this conversation forward yeah. Um, you know, it's just for me, I think it's so important for us to stack conditions in our favor. Yes. And also be very well aware that life is not going to go according to some <laughs> linear, perfect yeah. plan. Uh, a lot of times our perfect plans, whatever that might be, there's all kinds of struggle and mm -hmm. craziness and chaos mm -hmm. that's qualifying us in a way for that life. Yes. And it's just finding ways to, to grow, to mm -hmm. become stronger, resilient, mm -hmm. and carry on forward, you know? And it's like this life is really a, a, a figuring out process for ourselves mm -hmm. in our unique mm -hmm. story, mm -hmm. you know? And you've been just such a light, you know, ever since you first came into this studio into this room you know a couple years ago and actually it was my house first is yes, where you came yes, the first I time think, yes. and just being able to you know um have access to you and to your insights you. and you know if you have conversations um b besides the show and it's just really special because like all of this experience that you have and putting it together in a resource for us and also sharing your own story like that's the part that a lot of so-called experts don't do. Like, do you really know what you're saying? Have you applied this? <laughs> Have you lived it? In yeah. practical life right, right. and found ways and found truths that apply, not just, you know, on paper, but mm -hmm. to our lives as human beings. Thank you. You know, you, you've been a, a dear, extremely dear friend, Sean, just in, in my own journey and my own learning as an author in this world. But, you know, it's so true. I, I, I thank you for saying that because I don't want to portray to the world that there's this perfect way to eat. It's not that. It, we're human, you know. Life is to be enjoyed. And and finding that way forward is, is where the solutions lie. You know, um, I wanted people to have, like, an anti-anxiety grocery list because when you, wherever you shop, you want to put those foods front and forward because I had to do that myself. I had to reimagine my supermarketing. I had to reimagine things when I found that I was dealing with this metabolism in a different way caused by other reasons. You know, I never assume when someone is working on the anxiety or the anything in their life, any, any type of physical or mental problem, I, I never assume um, because I've learned the hard way what they may be going through. 
Um, and so I just think it's important to have grace with one another, um, especially in food and the nutrition space, because we're learning. We're all here to learn and share and help one another. It's it's not about you being right versus, you know, this method or that method or this food or that food. I think I think we have to get beyond that. Yeah. What you share is more so there are certain pillars, mm-hmm. right? And you share these in the book, pillars for calming our minds. Yes. Let's yes. talk a little bit about some of those. So I'm going to give you some of them. Um, and so I have six pillars and one of them we actually covered early on. Mm-hmm. It's something people sometimes overlook. Let's look at the foods, the anxiety producing foods that you want to, you may not realize the ketchup or the other things that we're eating that may be driving anxiety because of things like hidden ingredients like sugar. Another one is be whole, um, uh, eat whole to be whole. And and what that is, it's, it's that eat the orange, eat the apple, skip the juiced versions of them, meaning the store-bought apple or orange juice has added sugar, no fiber in it. Um, the more times that you can have a piece of salmon instead of a fish stick or a processed chicken nugget is going to be very different um, for that. And another one that I really want to bring forward is I created, developed a recipe called the Calming Kaleidoscope Salad because in the book I talk about a lot of the bioactives and micronutrients that we overlook. We've touched on some of those today, but the salad is really how do you put together that nutritional psychiatry plate, the, you know, enhance the biodiversity of your gut, enhance the fiber, the micronutrients, the, fi- the polyphenols. And that's another pillar because I want people to kind of remember that's something they can go to all the time um and so i would i love i would love for people to check it out all right so those are a couple of the pillars that are featured in the new new book calm your mind with food and again all six pillars are here and this is basically a consolidation of things at the end of the book after you learn about all these incredible foods and insights but i want to ask you about one more of these pillars which Again, to hear from your perspective, these words is is what I'm excited about. And one of the pillars is to find consistency and balance. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. So it's um, such a critical, it was so critical in my own journey, it was so critical in the journey of my patients. This is a marathon and not a sprint. You, you're not going to eat um, dark chocolate and a uh, piece of clementine tonight and lose your anxiety tomorrow. It's about replacing the, maybe the ice cream that you've been eating during the pandemic. Many people did that. It was a way to bring the family together and just enjoy something that felt comforting. Um, switch it out with banana ice cream from you know my first book and you can even make a chocolate flavor. But most importantly, find find a replacement for the things you love or a version of it and still once in a while enjoy that food because it's about the balance and consistency. We want this nutritional psychiatry anti-anxiety plan to calm your mind to be sustainable, to to help you maybe lower doses of medication, maybe work with your doctor to come off medications over time. Or maybe you won't need the medication at all, or maybe you'll just stay the same with your medication, but still have lowered anxiety. These are powerful things. Food is powerful if you embrace it, but you need to just find a way to be consistent, find the balance of what works for you, the foods you enjoy, the the, the dietary pattern that appeals to you. Because I'm not here to tell you eat this or not that. That is not my mentality. 
because I respect people and the choices they make. And I feel like that's not my role. I, I can't tell you, Sean, don't ever eat a certain food. But I can say, hey, could you get a healthier version of it? Could you source it from a different place? Could you maybe prepare it in an air fry instead of this way? For me, that's the best way I can guide you. And it's without judgment because I think when we get judgmental about food and we lose that consistently, we lose the balance, we start running after a certain food versus another, and we lose ourselves. We, we, we get more anxious and we kind of lose the end game. So that's, to me, why consistency and balance are the key. Calm your mind with food. Can you tell people where they can pick up a copy? Yes. Uh, you can go to my website, umanaidumd.com, sign up for my newsletter where I give you tips every week. But you can also order the book there. But you can also support your local bookstore or um, your online retailer that you like. And uh, you can find it on my social media links at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O. And I hope you'll check it out and let me know what you think. Awesome. We'll put all the links to everything, of course, in the show notes. Calm your mind with food. I appreciate you, Dr. Uma Naidu. Thank you so much, Sean. So good to be here. It's so amazing that food is now being utilized in major institutions. Dr. Uma Naidu is working in conjunction with Harvard University and treating patients with food. And it's strange because this is going back to Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, who said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. But in our modern world, it's turned into looking at medicine through this very, very narrow lens. And in reality, food, we're talking about tons of metabolic inputs. We consume tons of food. It's a lot. And I'm not exaggerating. I mean, literally tons. In fact, right now, the average American consumes almost one ton of food annually. All right, it's a lot. Maybe, maybe it's a bit much. But the point being that there are all of these epigenetic inputs coming in through the foods that we're choosing. Nutrigenomics and nutrigenetics are all bustling fields, affirming how our diet choices are impacting our gene expression. And we know that these foods that we're choosing are building our cells, our mitochondria, feeding our, our microbes, you know, the trillions of bacteria cells that we're carrying around. This is controlling and determining the quality of our neurotransmitters and our hormones. There's really, when it comes to our health, food is so foundational. And so for somebody like Uma Naidu to step up and to say, you know, the data is clear. Food is something powerful in helping patients to get well. And so it's really a cool time to be alive, but most importantly, we gotta support this work. So definitely check out her new book. And again, we'll have everything linked for you in the show notes. We've got some amazing masterclasses and world-class guests coming your way very, very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.